Hey guys, just before we get started, I wanted to kind of put a swear warning because I realize I do in fact swear a lot and I just kind of want to make sure if any kitties are listening that uh, you should probably stop now if unless you're a mature child. And also I'd like to say, uh, sorry mom, <laughs> let's get started with the episode. Long may she reign. Presented to you by Aidan Fitzgerald. Hey guys, welcome back to the Long May Shrain podcast. I'm Aiden. I'm your host of this podcast. So, no pop opening today, as you can uh, hear with your ears. It's not because I'm out of pop. It's actually because I've uh, I've chosen a different drink today, a more more sophisticated drink. I am drinking tea, and I am not just drinking any tea. Oh no 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 no! I am drinking uh, lemon tea out of a very fine piece of china. You guys can't see it. Maybe I'll post it on Twitter, or I won't. You know, I always forget this shit. Um, I found this lovely little teacup at Value Village a few days ago, and it is made by, oh, what's the company again? Hammersley & Co.? I googled it. It's apparently a very nice, like, china shop. I don't know if they, like, make teacups anymore, but it's it's a gorgeous little teacup. You know, I bought tea at the grocery store, um, a couple days ago, and I was like, I, I feel wrong to, um drink this tea out of like like a boring coffee cup like I was like if I'm gonna buy tea I'm gonna get a very nice teacup for me to drink it out of so actually let's let's taste test it I haven't tried it yet Ooh, very good fucking love lemon tea it's so good man anyway what else did I do this week well I already said I went to value village that's true I got a lot of interesting stuff there this week um I found this funny little uh pendant necklace it's like a little dancing man, and I didn't really look closely at him before I bought him. But when um, I looked closely at him, I realized he's a little Highland dancer. I'm Scottish, so that's really, really cool. I've named him Jamie. <laughs> Bet you can guess where I got that from. Um, I really love it. I've been wearing him a lot since I, uh, since I bought him, and it's really nice. My new favorite necklace, a little Highland dancer on my neck. Uh, well, also, welcome to the season finale of season five, it's, it, we got here through a lot of, a lot of hardship, me missing, uh, publishing dates, uh, me falling really behind this summer <laughs> on writing episodes, but we're here, we did it, and hopefully this episode will release on time, I'm pretty sure it will, we'll see, also, my birthday is coming up this week, I'm gonna be 22, <laughs> finally, I'm the, I'm the age, uh, Taylor Swift was when she released 22. <laughs> I think. <laughs> um, actually, what's really cool is my birthday is on Friday the thirteenth this year. I only I get a Friday the thirteenth birthday every seven years, so you always got to make it count. So hopefully this will be this will be a good one. Maybe I'll show you guys my cake. I really unhinged uh, cake idea. We'll see if it it comes to fruition. If it does, I'll 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 take pictures of it and show you guys. Anyway, you guys don't care about that. You're here to learn a wee bit of history today. We are talking about. Malinche or La Malinche. Now you may have heard of her, you may have not. Uh, her name is pretty synonymous with being like traitorous. I believe there's even an expression in Spanish in Mexico that has to do with like you know being like a snitch, and it like has something to do with Malinche's name. I can't remember like the exact 
like turn of phrase. If you're Mexican, you might know it. Um, Malinche was a translator and she was an enslaved person who was bought by Hernan Cortez. And she is like partly responsible for the fall of the Aztec Empire in the 1500s. And she gets a lot of flack, flack for her collaboration with the Spanish. But honestly, I think that is bullshit and we are going to talk about why I think it's not fair to entirely blame her for the fall of the Aztec Empire and that she wasn't a traitor. She was a teenage girl who had no idea what the consequences of her actions would be. So I hope you guys are excited. Let's get into it. Okay, so the woman history would come to know as Malinche was born possibly in the year 1500 somewhere in the Gulf of Mexico to unknown possibly aristocratic parents. As you can see, there are a lot of maybes in that very short sentence. And that is because we actually don't know a ton about what Malinche's life was like before she wound up in the company of conquistadors. So bear with me as I try to talk about her life because I'm going to be saying maybe and possibly a lot in this episode. Now, speaking of maybes, let's talk about the origin of Malinche's name because, shocker, Malinche might not be her real name. Now, no one is 100% sure what Malinche's birth name was. Uh, the Spanish called her Matlizine, uh, sorry, Mat- yeah, Matlizine, which was apparently derived from the Spanish hearing her name wrong and then giving her the Spanish name Marina, which was uh, later retranslated into Malinche's native language, giving us either Malinche or Matlizine. Um, I also read another story that she was named after the Aztec goddess of snakes, scorpions, and insects of the desert, which is very interesting, um, like, set of, like, oh, what, what would the word be, um, like, a domain for a goddess, like, being the, being the goddess of snakes, scorpions, and, like, desert insects. Um, anyway, this goddess's name in Malinche's native language is pronounced Malinali, and means either grass or a grass-like plant, or even grasshopper, like, you know, the insect, uh, whatever her name actually was, she is best known by the name Malinche, so that is how I will refer to her, even if her parents might not have called her that. Um, speaking of her parents, let's get to know, uh, what little we know about Malinche's parents, and her culture, and the time period she would have grown up, uh, in during the reign of the Aztec Empire. I'm really glad we get to talk about the Aztec Empire again. I was worried we'd never get to talk about it again after uh, Isabella Montezuma. But uh, thank God it was able to cobble together enough information on Malinche for us to uh, hearken back to the Aztecs. Yay. Anyway, um, the reason we don't know much about Malinche's origins is despite the fact that she was an essential tool for the Spanish to conquer the Aztecs, she was mentioned very sparingly in records by them despite the fact that she was present for a whole lot of pretty fucking big moments. Uh, Hernan Cortez, who we'll talk about in a minute, only mentions her twice in his letters as a translator. He wrote quite a few letters back to uh, the Spanish crown, but he only wrote about her twice. Um, we do have a few different accounts about her from uh, conquistadors who would have known her, but even their accounts are questionable because they could be twisting a narrative to fit their view of who they wanted Malinche to be and not who she actually was. Now, the only uh, detailed written historical account about her comes from uh, Hernan Cortez's companion, uh, conquistador Bernal Diaz de Castillo, who was the person who spread the idea that Malinche was from Aztec nobility. Now, according to Bernal, Malinche was the daughter of uh, the lord of the town of 
Peinala, and when she was young, her father died, and Malinche's mother remarried and then had a son with her second husband, who she wanted to inherit both his own father's lands and Malinche's lands. So she intentionally sold Malinche into slavery to get her out of the way. And we don't know if any of this is true about how Malinche was uh, put into slavery, but Malinche being of noble class could possibly explain why she picked up on languages so easily, because she was educated to do that. Uh, let's just operate on the assumption that Malinche was of the noble class, because I, I stand a reason that it could be true. I mean, why not, right? Now, operating on this assumption, what would her life have looked like before she was sold? Uh, the Aztecs had a very structured school system that allowed children of both genders to attend school and receive an education fit for their status. Now, for the first decade of a young noblewoman's life, she was educated at home by a tutor or her mother. After that, she and any siblings she had would be sent to schools tailored uh, to teach skills by gender. Uh, while boys learned about literacy, history, religious rituals, uh, calen calendarics, geometry, songs, and the military arts, Girls learned household skills, religious rituals, singing, dancing, or craft work. Now, some talented girls might chosen to be uh, midwives and receive full training as a healer, which could really raise you up in the world. I mean, it was it was a good job if you weren't going to end up married, uh, even if you were married sometimes. Uh, not to mention, if you were athletic, you could be chosen to attend the House of Dancing and Singing for special training to become a singer or dancer in a temple. Or you could even become a highly ranked court musician as this would be especially good for you if you were like of like lower nobility like if you had like a title but like not a lot of cash this could be a good path for you now whether Malinche was born a noble or a commoner she would have received a fantastic education regardless because it was mandatory for all children regardless of social class to attend school even enslaved children were provided with an education so Malinche wasn't missing out in the least although the quality of education would have uh uh, would have depended on, you know, what social class she was born into, but everyone had to go to school, which is good. <laughs> now, before we get into Malinche's, uh, mildly depressing, but also kind of exciting life, uh, I want to talk about the culture she grew up in, because the Nueja, I'm pretty sure I'm pronouncing that right, I am so sorry if you are a part of this cultural group, and I'm pronouncing it wrong, Nueja, uh, the Nueja people are a very interesting indigenous group, like, absolutely fascinating. Uh, I also want to talk briefly about what Malinche might have looked like. I mean, we don't have any uh, pictures or uh, contemporary drawings of her, but we have a general idea of what she would have like, looked like. Now, speaking of culture, as far as I understand it, Nueja people were related to the Aztecs, and they even spoke the same language. However, it seems the Aztecs, uh, to, to boost their own mythology and connection to the land, referred to themselves as the Mexica people, which is where we get the name Mexico from. Uh, the Nueja were a primarily agricultural group that cultivated uh, corn or maize, uh, beans, chili peppers, tomatoes, and squash, and they still do that even to this day in Mexico. You know, I really gotta thank Mexico, like, in general, for a lot of the good cuisine we have. I mean, imagine what European cooking would look like today without uh, Mexico, South America in general. We wouldn't have beans. Uh, my Irish ass wouldn't have potatoes. Um, the Italians wouldn't have pizza, pasta, all that. Like, imagine. Anyway, uh, weaving was also a popular craft or art, and it's still practiced by the Nueja people today, where they can make the most beautifully woven clothing you've ever seen in your life. I mean, it is just beautiful. 
Um, other crafts included pottery, rope making, uh, plant fiber weeding, and adobe brick making, which I don't know what adobe bricks are. Like, I didn't, I didn't Google it. I should probably Google it. But I'm sure they're probably cool looking. It's cool that they made those. Now, let's talk about what the famous Malinche might have looked like. Now, as I said, we have very few documents mentioning her and even fewer uh, documenting what she would have looked like. But thankfully, uh, Bernal Diaz de Castillo has some commentary about Malinche's appearance and general personality. Now, Bernal himself described Malinche as good-looking, intelligent, and self-assured, which, you know, seems like nice qualities for her to have. Of course, we have no contemporary drawings or portraits of her, but I personally like to imagine her as, you know, an indigenous woman, dark hair, dark eyes, dark skin, dressed in the traditional, traditionally colorful garb of the Nueja. You guys got to look up traditional uh, clothing from Mexico because it is beautiful. It is so gorgeous. I wish. Um, unfortunately for Malinche, we have these descriptions of her from Europeans and, you know, absolutely nothing good happens uh, when conquistadors are involved. So let's let's talk about that for a second. Now, in my Isabella Montezuma episode, I talked about how Isabella owned slaves her entire adult life, as was the tradition in Aztec culture for noble men and noble women. But slavery was much different under the Aztecs compared to uh, the Spanish system of slavery that they established when they got to, you know, the Caribbean and Mexico, or even African chattel slavery. Now, as I've mentioned on this show a lot, um, all slavery is, is, is bad. In all the cultures that have ever had slavery, slavery pretty much sucks. But it is not comparable to African chattel slavery, who still affects a lot of modern uh, black people even today. But I am still going to explain how Aztec slavery worked. It was certainly better pretty much than any other slavery you could get but it's still terrible and it is not okay to minimize these experiences of slavery that Malinche and a lot of other Aztec slaves would have had to go through just because it was better than African chattel slavery. Now Aztec slavery reminds me much more of indentured servitude but it still arguably has large elements of what we might think of when the word slavery is said to us. And here are some quick facts about how slavery worked for the Aztecs. First of all, slavery was not hereditary or based on any racial lines. Your child would not automatically become enslaved if he or she was born during your enslavement. And no Aztec slaves were enslaved because they were a certain skin color or tribe. They were usually prisoners of war or sold into slavery by family members. Slavery was more of a punishment that you could get for stealing or murder or if the Aztecs conquered your town or something like that. Slave owners were also obligated by law to treat their slave, enslaved people well. I don't know if they did that in practice or if that was common, but at least it was law. Uh, not to mention enslaved people still went to school, they could marry freely, they could own land, homes, and other items. Uh, slaves were not used for public work projects or for agriculture, but were usually reserved as personal servants to their masters. It's also important to note that Aztec slave owners did not own the body or the person of their slaves, just the labor they did for them. Not to mention being enslaved could be a temporary status if you paid off your debt or bought your own freedom. Not to mention you couldn't be sold at auction if you didn't agree to it. So generally, Aztec slaves have some degree of autonomy, but not, you know, completely. Like, they're still enslaved. Um, overall, Aztec slavery 
not as terrible as African-American chattel slavery. I don't think any slavery will ever be as bad as African-American chattel slavery, but it wasn't ideal either. You were still under the ownership of somebody and forced to work for free for someone else. Now, if the story that Bernan Diaz de Castillo tells about Malinche is true, she was sold by her mother sometime in 1509 at the age of 9 or 8 to the... Ooh, okay. I'm not going to pronounce this region correctly, but I am going to try my darndest. Sia Shalingo region, which was about 700 kilometers uh, from where we believe she was born. Um... Honestly, I can't imagine how scared she must have been, like, a, a little nine, eight-year-old girl sent away by her mom to a place that she's never been. Also, her mom could probably make way for her brother to have her inheritance. Like, fucking shit, girl, you can just split it? Like, Jesus Christ. Um, anyway, as she was enslaved, she had no control over the work she did for the people who owned her. She likely spent most of her time cooking, cleaning, and serving while living in some of the master's houses. Um, at some point, after several years of serving in homes, uh, she was sold to some uh, Mayans. Uh, even though they didn't have an empire anymore, the uh, Mayan people were still very much around. The Mayans took her to the region of Tabasco and the town of Poto, sorry, Pototanchan, where she learned to speak Yucatec Mayan in addition to the Nuejas she already spoke. And yes, Tabasco, the Tabasco region, like where Tabasco sauce is from. Um, it was the, in the town of Potochan where Malinche's life would change forever as a certain famous conquistador rolled up on the scene to conquer the Aztecs, uh, but could not even, sorry, but not even he could hope to achieve such a goal without help from the locals. Now, Malinche wouldn't have known it. But eight years before she was born, Christopher Columbus accidentally stumbled in the Caribbean while he was uh, lost, looking for uh, spices in India. And between four voyages, he had bought, brought death and destruction to the natives of the Caribbean. Actually, today is Indigenous Peoples Day. Wow, what a what an opportune opportune day for me to be recording this. Um, Christopher Columbus sucks if you didn't know. Um, and on Christopher Columbus's last voyage, he came across the coast of modern-day Mexico, which presented a lot of opportunities for the Spanish when they realized what was there. Now, Hernan Cortez was put in charge of the quest to colonize the interior of Mexico in about 1518. In that year, he set off to Mexico with 11 ships and 500 men, um, which he actually did so, like, without, like, the, like, express permission of, like, his commanding officer. Like, originally his commanding officer was like, yeah, you can do it, but then, like, they had beef, and he then said no you can't go into the interior and do that but then uh hernan cortez went everywhere anyway and like the guy court-martialed him it's like a whole thing anyway um so 11 ships and 500 men not exactly an invasion force to take on one of the largest empires in the region right i mean after all how can 500 spaniards take over one of north america's largest and most sophisticated empires uh trick is they didn't because they had help uh we'll get into that in a second Anyway, while Cortez himself wasn't a soldier, he had no military experience, but he was an effective leader. That's what made him really good at his job. He made short work of some coastal tribes as he fought his way into the Mexican interior. Eventually, he came upon the Maya people, and after several short battles, uh, many of the Maya towns fell to his army, including Malinches. Uh, the ruler of her specific town even paid tribute to Cortez by giving him 20 enslaved women, one of whom was Malinche. Now, the custom for the Spanish when given enslaved women was to first baptize them as Catholics, give them Spanish names, uh, the most popular being Marina. They named a whole bunch of them Marina. I don't get how that's not confusing. Anyway, uh, and then the commander would give each of his nobles or soldiers a woman to do with what he wanted, which would usually lead to sexual assault and some, uh, some uh, uh, illegitimate babies. 
Uh, now, Malinche was initially given to one of Cortez's nobles, but after spending time in her company, Cortez was like, holy fucking shit, she speaks multiple languages. Uh, not only that, uh, she spoke two of the major languages of the land. I'm sure C Cortez just suddenly had, like, woo, dollar signs in his eyes when he figured out that she spoke two of the largest languages in the region, and he didn't speak either of those languages. Um, after discovering her talents, Cortez took Malinche away from whatever noble uh, she had been given to and hired her as his personal translator as his army moved deeper into the Mexican interior to take the uh, capital city of Tenochtitlan. Now, Malinche didn't speak Spanish, obviously, uh, but lucky for her, Cortez's army had picked up this, like, random priest who had, like, survived a, a, a shipwreck uh, trying to, like, get to, to the Maya to, like convert them to catholicism like a lot of a lot of random priests went to the caribbean and like south america and mexico like with like some crown like edicts being like hey you want to learn about jesus um <laughs> anyway he had been in a shipwreck he'd been captured by the maya for like three or four years and he had learned their language but he only knew one dialect while malinche knew two mayan dialects in addition to the nueja that the priest didn't know at all so if cortez's army came across nueja people and wanted to talk to them malinche would listen and then would translate to the priest in mayan and then the priest would translate to cortez in spanish now it's a really funny system it's like like a game of telephone it's overly convoluted but it worked now i think malinche realized very quickly as she started her work for cortez that if the priest could learn mayan in a couple of years that he might be able to learn nueja depending on how long it took them to uh get to tenochtitlan and if the priest learned nueja that would make her obsolete and she realized being obsolete was a bad thing in this case so she decided to start learning spanish so that she could translate to cortez directly now, her Spanish wasn't perfect, but she could decently speak to Cortez in under a few months, which I think is wildly impressive considering Spanish is hard to learn if you don't speak a language closely related to it, like French. I mean, I used to be fluent in French, and I found Spanish class quite, quite difficult. Mostly because I just kept on confusing it with French in my head. Anyway. Once Malinche could directly communicate with Cortez and his men, her role increased amongst the Spanish conquistadors. She was vital to many of the negotiations negotiations that took place as Cortez gathered an army that he hoped would be able to march in the capital city of Tenochtitlan. Now, as I mentioned before, Cortez only arrived in Mexico with 500 soldiers, which no matter how much you believe in the Sky Daddy up there and your right to conquest is not enough guys to take over an empire. So the Spanish had to look elsewhere for additional soldiers. Now, I talked a bit about this in my Isabella Montezuma episode, but the bottom line is that many tribes under the Aztec rule thought that the Aztecs were tyrants and they were looking for a way out from under their thumb. Now, the Aztec Empire had a host of problems that might have one day taken it down, and the Spanish realized those weaknesses and exploited them to their fullest, so really, they deteriorated the empire probably like a hundred years prior to when it really should have fallen. Maybe 50. Anyway, Malinche helped Cortez talk to many of these disgruntled tribes and basically promised them that they would free them if they helped them march on Tenochtitlan. But what they didn't know is that uh, 300 years of Spanish rule would make the less than 100 years of Aztec rule seem like a fucking cakewalk. 
Okay, so I'm not going to go too heavy into, like, the actual conquest of Mexico. Like, I'm not going to talk about, like, the battles and shit or, like, uh, stuff that Hernan Cortez did individually, just how Malinche was an asset to the Spanish and why many people in Mexico consider her a traitor for her participation in the conquest. Now, these accusations of betrayal start even before the Spanish make it to Tenochtitlan uh, with an incident in the city of Cholula. Basically, the Spanish are being housed by the people of Cholula, and everything seems to be chill between both parties. Like, they, they seem to be getting along well, until uh, one day the Spanish make the accusation that the Cholulan people have been secretly plotting to sneak attack them with Aztec soldiers, and they stop feeding them. Uh, I mean, the Cholulans stop feeding the Spanish. So, naturally, um, the Spanish massacre them all, because it's the Spanish. Um, later stories would pin the Europeans' knowledge of this supposed sneak attack on Malinche, where it was said that she discovered the plot, uh, from this, like, old woman in Cholula who, like, trusted her because she, like, spoke their language and told Cortez and his men before it could happen, which I, I'm not personally, like, a big fan of this theory. I don't think there was a plot at all, and I think the conquistadors were being conquistadors, and they maybe just killed them over something minor, or maybe negotiations for the Cholulans to join the army didn't go well, because originally the Cholulans were not interested in joining uh, Hernan Cortez at all, um, so they probably just massacred them for that, and they needed an excuse, so they blamed it on Malinche. Um, anyway, after leaving the Cholulans and all their dead bodies, uh, the Spanish managed to reach the outskirts of Tenochtitlan, and it's here where Malinche's language skills kind of become indispensable for Cortez as uh, negotiations go on, as does her deep knowledge of Aztec culture. Now, Malinche would have ensured Cortez knew what to say and how to act and how to get on Moctezuma's good side. Even if he wasn't saying the right words, Malinche could make him say the right words through her translation. Um, it didn't take long for the Spanish to basically, like, dig in around Tenochtitlan for a siege. Um, after two and a half years of war, negotiation, and death, um, Hernan Cortez having control, and then not having control, and then getting control again. Tenochtitlan fell to the Spanish. Montezuma died, whether, uh, by Spanish hands or his own people's hands. I definitely think it was the Spanish. I don't think his own people killed him. We've already talked about that. And Malinche was there to watch it all happen. Now, during the city's conquest, Malinche would have spent most of her time in a house in the nearby village of Coyoacan. And during the Spanish con conquest, it seems that Malinche and Cortez developed a relationship that was much closer than, you know, master and slave. Um, as in 1522, Malinche gave birth to her son, Martin Cortez. Now, the, uh, the birth of Malinche's uh, son with Cortez is is considered another betrayal of her people because she not only translated and helped the Spanish enemy, she also got into bed with them, which, you know, by historical standards and really most standards, most people consider her a slut. And, you know, fucking come on, guys. Give her a break. I mean, at this time, at Malinche's oldest, she is 22, if the 1500 birth date is right. At her youngest estimated birth date she is 17 years old she has spent half of her adult life being enslaved forced to do housework maybe even possibly rented out as a prostitute she has had no control over her life she was never valued for anything but her ability to do labor until the spanish came the spanish owned her but at the very least they valued her language and cultural skills i'm sure malinche realized that this skill could be the only way she might be able to exert some control over her own goddamn life so she did things against her people that most people might disagree with or maybe not um 
and she might have personally disagreed with what she was doing, but, you know, she was the lowest of the low in Aztec society. She had been treated like dirt since the day she was sold. Perhaps she thought maybe she deserved a higher place in the world after what happened to her, and honestly, can you blame her? I mean, I'd be pissed at the Aztecs if I had to go through Aztec slavery, no matter how, like, how many... Uh, pieces of land I got to own, or if I got to go to school, you're still enslaved. I mean, how was she supposed to know at 17 or 22 years old the long-lasting effects of letting the Spanish conquer the Aztecs? Like, she wasn't fucking psychic. She can't see in the future. I don't think anyone could have understood how bad 300 years of Spanish rule would be like. Like, they didn't know the Europeans. They didn't know that they were going to do this to them. Um, an example I can think of is Pocahontas, for example. Her dad, Chief Powhatan. Do you think he would have been as accommodating as he was to the English, or Pocahontas would have been friends with any of the Englishmen if they knew, like, ahead of time that Pocahontas would be kidnapped, and sexually assaulted, that the English would tear, uh, tear down their forest, exploit and enslave the Powhatan people for hundreds of years? Fuck no. Like, we make choices in the moment, good or bad, because we don't know how they're going to affect anything, and that is what Malinche was doing. I, I genuinely can't blame her for any of the things she did to help the Spanish. Because how the fuck was she supposed to know how bad they were going to be? It, it gets me heated that people blame this for blame this on her when she was a child. Um, as for her relationship with Cortez, it's not exactly a balanced pairing. He legally owns her. He probably would have tried to sleep with her whether she said yes or not. I mean, this wasn't even the last time Cortez did this to an Aztec woman. A few years later, after Malinche is already dead, he becomes the legal guardian of our girl, Princess Isabella Moctezuma, and he ends up knocking her up as a teenager, too. And we don't call her a traitor. Like, arguably, uh, when Isabella grew up and, like, integrated herself into uh, this, like, Spanish uh, indigenous society... She's a little more traitorous than Malinche is, but we can't blame either of these women because they were children and they didn't know that this was going to happen. This wasn't a real relationship or a love story. Malinche was exploited, even if she considered it consensual. Plain and simple, it was wrong, but it is not Malinche's fault for any of this. She's not a traitor, and I don't think it's fair to call her one. Now, shortly after the conquest, there was still opposition to Spanish rule in the Aztec Empire, so Cortes had to go to modern-day Honduras to quell the rebellion, and he actually brought Malinche with him to serve as a translator. She helped him speak with local leaders and also helped him kick uh, one of his rivals out of Honduras and establish a strong foothold in the region. Now, apparently on the way to Honduras, Malinche ran into her mom and half-brother, who were almost killed by conquistadors, but because of Malinche's intervention, they weren't killed, and she forgave them for what they did to her. Now, I don't know if this story is true. I read it a couple times in my research. I, I believe the, uh, the original story comes from uh, Bernal Diaz de Castillo, uh, but I thought I would include it, because I think it's really a testament to how, like, kind Malinche was, as, you know, noted by uh, Mr. Bernal over there. Like, he noted how kind and wonderful she was all the time. So, I think that's a really good example of it. Now, after Malinche and Cortez return from Honduras, they, uh, Honduras, uh, Cortez decides to marry her to one of his noblemen, uh, Juan Jaramillo, whom uh, she has a daughter with in about 1523 or 1524. Now, I wish I could tell you a little, uh, you know, factoid sheet about Juan, but I literally could not find anything about him personally uh, or about the Jarmilo family other than that they were a noble house and Juan was definitely there and that was the guy she married. Um, 
Anyway, one of the main reasons Cortez had Melanchia married off to a nobleman was uh, because he was married. <laughs> and uh, right as he and Melanchia got back from Honduras, his wife, who he didn't really like very much, was waiting for him in Mexico City, uh, formerly Tonotichlan. And I'm guessing he didn't want to tell her that he knocked up a teenager behind her back. Um, after this, uh, details about Melanchia's life are pretty scarce. Um, it is believed that she passed away in a small pox epidemic in 1529, which is uh, not only a terrible way to die, but also a tragically young age for her to pass away. Like, she is likely between the ages of, like, 28 and 25. Like, she is, she has barely lived life, and she has done so much. Um, after Malinche died at some point, the only info we have on her uh, youngest daughter is that she was raised by her father Juan and Juan's second wife, who was a Spanish noble lady. Um, I assume that her daughter grew up to marry some, you know, nice Spanish noble, I hope a nice Spanish nobleman, and lived, you know, a good aristocratic life. Uh, um, lucky for us, we have a lot more info on Malinche's son with Cortez, who led quite the amazing life after his mother died. Um, Malinche didn't know her son very well while she was alive. Uh, once she went on campaign with Cortez to hand Honduras, you know, whether she wanted to or not, uh, she left little Martin with one of Cortez's cousins, and by the time she came back, she married her husband Juan, and Cortez didn't think it was right to uproot their, you know, three-year-old to go live with his mother, and also, in a lot of cases, when women either, you know, get married for the first time and have a child previously, or uh, were married and had a child from previous marriage, those kids usually go with the uh, father, or at the very least are sent with a ward, because, like, there's, like, some, like, weird, like, like, taboo about, like, kids from a former marriage living with their new stepdad. Anyway, I don't know what's up with that, but it happens a lot. Anyway, he was still living with that cousin. Um, shortly before Malinche supposedly died, Martin got on a boat with his dad and never saw his mother again. But to be fair, he didn't really know her that much in the first place. He was, like, four or five when this happened. And he probably doesn't remember her super well. Um, in June of 1528, Cortez took Martin on his journey to meet, uh, Emperor Charles V, a.k.a. Uh, Charles I of Spain, the uh, son of our girl, uh, Juana. Um, but then he was later officially legitimized by his father, which is actually, like, a pretty huge thing. Like, he didn't have to legitimize Martin. Uh, he could have just recognized him as a son. Um, Hernan sent a petition to the Pope, as Martin was uh, Cortez's only son at the time, so... He probably thought, hey, I might never have any other kids, especially if my bitch wife doesn't die. <laughs> so he's like, I'm going to make Martin my heir. Now, Martin spent nearly his entire childhood at the Spanish royal court and was given a top-notch European edu education. Uh, Martin would later go on to serve as page King Philip II of Spain. Uh, while Martin was growing up, his dad was going back and forth between the New World and Europe. He saw him occasionally. Um, eventually after, uh, Hernan Cortez's bitch first wife died, he ended up marrying a Spanish nobleman who gave him, uh, the legitimate son he wanted. And do you guys want to guess? Just, you know, give a little guess about what Hernan Cortez named his legitimate son. I'll give you guys a second. You can either guess it in your heads, or you can go and Google it and come back. I'll wait. Did you look it up? Yeah. Um... Hernan fucking named his other son Martin, too. He named his other son Martin. As if we don't have a 10 million reasons to hate Cortez for all the enslaving and colonizing he did, he named two of his fucking kids Martin. Look, I get Martin was Hernan Cortez's dad's name, but dude, you already committed to naming a child that 10 years prior. 
Martin Sr. here was 10 when his little brother was born. You could have named the legitimate one after yourself or something. For fuck's sakes, Hernan, why did you name both of your sons Martin? Is that not endlessly confusing? Because it's endlessly confusing to me. Like, I get if, like, a kid dies and you name the next one Martin, but both of them were alive. <laughs> anyway. It wouldn't be till 10 years after the birth of Martin number two, uh, when Cortez came back to Spain for the last time, and that older Martin got to meet younger Martin and his other brother, Luis. At least he named the other one something different. Anyway, despite the fact that the two Martins grew up to be very different personalities and had some legal battles over the dad's estate, um, Malinche's Martin remained pretty loyal to his younger half-brother as head of the family. Now, Martin spent most of his 20s in the Spanish army, fighting bravely and loyally to the Spanish crown. And he was given an aristocratic marriage to Lady Bernalda de Porres, with whom he had a daughter and a son in Spain. In the 1560s, he chose to accompany his brothers, uh, other Martin and Louis, sorry, Louis, on their journey to Mexico, as other Martin took his place as the Marquis of the Valley of Oaxaca. Yeah, anyway, that was, a, that was a title that Hernan Cortez had been given, and now Martin uh, was given it, and now he finally decided to actually go and see the land that uh, he was responsible for. Now, it's here in Mexico where things kind of get so weird for the Cortez brothers. Uh, basically, the land system in Mexico had some law changes while the brothers were away, and now technically the Cortez uh, brothers' land belonged to the government. Now, not too long after the brothers arrived to claim their father's land, uh, they were at a party with some friends. Now, apparently two of their friends made this, like, big show to, like, welcome the Cortez brothers of uh, dressing like Mexican chieftains and bowing to someone dressed as their dad, Hernan Cortez. Now, when word got out about this, like, little display, the Spanish government's reaction was, oh my god, the Cortez brothers are trying to overthrow us. They are trying to be emperor of, like, Mexico. We need we need to do something. So, naturally, they arrested all three Cortez brothers. Now, uh, the youngest one, Luis, almost lost his fucking head. And then our Martin and other Martin were put in prison and tortured for information, which seems like a thing they shouldn't be able to do, especially because all three of them are noblemen. Uh, our Martin... Uh, heavily resisted torture and was pretty brave in the face of it all, which I think tells you a lot about his character, which he might have, you know, inherited from his mother. Uh, luckily, they didn't execute him. His punish was, punishment was uh, to be sent back to Spain and uh, do the same thing he'd been doing before, being a soldier, uh, where he continued to fight wars for Spain until the day he died in 1595. Just a you know, sad end for our poor boy Martin, but at least he got to live a full life compared to his mother, and I, I really hope he knew his half-sister at the very least. Anyway, now, getting into legacy, Malinche up until very recently has not been thought of very well in Mexican history, or history in general, as, as a general discipline. Her name is synonymous with the fall of the Aztecs and Spanish colonization, and she is very often blamed for the Spanish being able to overthrow the Aztecs, but as I have made very clear in this episode, I hardly think that's fair. The, us the usual accusation is that without her, the Spanish would not have been able to talk to other tribes and negotiations wouldn't have gone as smoothly uh, with helping Cortez build his army, which is totally true. That's a fact. They would not have been able to get as many tribes to join them without Malinche being able to talk to those tribes. However, the Spanish already had a monk that they found who could speak Mayan and reasonably could have learned other languages of the Aztecs like Nueja just as quickly. So even if she wasn't there, the Spanish very well could have had the same result. Like, I, I think they still would have been able to gather support anyway. 
as I have already said, Malinche was making choices in the moment that she could not have possibly realized were going to affect that many people for that long. Not to mention, she was heavily exploited under the Aztec slave system, so she was probably really bitter at the Aztecs and wanted to get even and wanted to have some control over her life, and she thought Hernan Cortez could give that to her, even if it was an unbalanced uh, relationship. Maybe she assumed life as a translator and a concubine to a Spanish conquistador was better than life as an Aztec slave. Personally, reading about all this, I don't blame her. Just like I don't blame Pocahontas for Jamestown's expansion or Sacagawea for U.S. expansion west. Um, although recently, Malinche has been getting a little bit of a, a reputation rehabilitation is the word I use, I guess. Um, in the show... Uh, uh, National Treasure, Edge of History, which is a great show, and I'm really sad they canceled it because, you know, Disney hates us. Um, and also Nicolas Cage fans are apparently uh, mean and, and didn't like the progressiveness in the show and the lack of Nick Cage. Whatever. Anyway, uh, Malinche is given, like, a really good, like, story in that show. If you haven't seen Edge of History, go watch it even though it's canceled. It is still a great show. Like, the, the, the main story within the, the first and only season is... It's still very satisfactory. Go watch it. You'll see how they treat Malinche in that show. They give her a total rehabilitation in her reputation. You're going to love it, I hope. Now, thank you guys so much for joining me on this episode. I will see you in the new year, hopefully February, for a brand new season. Season 6, guys. Thank you guys so much. Goodbye. Hey guys, thanks for listening. If you have any suggestions for topics, you can just DM me on Twitter at LongMaceyRain2. The N at the end of rain is replaced with a 2 instead. I'm also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, and like a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, don't forget to rate and review this podcast on all those platforms. It really actually does help the show so much and it will help me grow my audience. So I would absolutely appreciate it if you you guys could do that. All right. Uh, bye.